Well, the sermon title today is, What Will You Give Jesus? You know, around Christmas time, a lot of us are in the habit of giving out gifts around the holidays, or if not now, you give out gifts to people during other parts of the year. So I'm curious this morning, what is the best gift or the most favorite gift? I don't know if that was good English. What is the favorite gift that you have ever received? Something tangible, tangible, physical present. present. Think about it and then tell the person next to you the best gift you've ever received. Think about it and go. And then if anyone has one that they want to share, just raise your hand. I'd love to hear what that favorite... Yes. Yes. Amen. She said the day she got baptized, and that wasn't a real physical present, but what a spiritual blessing that was. Amen? Amen. Probably we all would say the gift of Jesus if we were thinking of spiritual blessings, but as far as physical Something you can wrap up in a box. What, what are some of your favorite gifts that you've received? A baby stroller. All right. A 10-pound baby. Hopefully you didn't wrap it in a box, though, right? No. <laughs> but very tangible, very physical. Anything else? Favorite gift over the years? My Jen Air stove. Oh, a stove. Cool. I'm not familiar with that particular brand, but... Uh, it's a good one, she says. What else? Kids, any favorite gifts you've ever received? No? A pig, okay. Cool. Let's see. Yeah, in the back. Ah, amen. That is a, a real gift right there. What a blessing. You know, as we're thinking about stuff you can wrap up and put you know, under a tree or on a, yeah, happy birthday gift, whatever. As far as in my own life, I got a trampoline, the large, my sister and I, when we were kids. And that was one of the best gifts we ever received because it combined fun and exercise and was healthy entertainment. You know, you could go out and jump on the trampoline for a half hour, an hour with your friends, and you get the wiggles out, you have a lot of fun, hopefully you don't hurt yourself, which I, I looked at some Google pictures of trampolines these days. They all have the netting. Well, we didn't have netting. Life was safer back then, you know? You didn't need netting. Uh, some of you are old enough to think back on some incredibly unsafe things. You know, the play structures have changed over the years, and, and for probably good reason. Uh, that was one of the best gifts, a, a trampoline. Okay, I'm going to flip the question. What was the gift you gave somebody else that you were most excited about or in your mind you just were super, super pleased with that gift? Think about that. Tell a person next to you a gift you gave somebody that you were really excited about. And then we'll have you share in a moment. Anyone have one that they want to share? A gift you gave somebody else? Jenny. A miniature dog that I gave to my best friend. Oh, nice. Wrapped up in a shoebox. Oh, 
That's awesome. A miniature dachshund. 16 years it lived in What an awesome gift that, that lasted for those many years, brought her pleasure every single day, and, and everything else. Anyone else? A favorite gift? Yeah, Sherry. I gave the gift of going to Hawaii to my mother. Oh. Gift of going to Hawaii with her mother. What a great gift. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He gave his girlfriend, who became his wife, an engagement ring. And that, what a great gift. It's lasted for so long. And what it stood for. Yeah, Harold. Oh, a power lift chair. From a nursing care facility. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, what a practical, useful gift for your dad to be able to now have that power lift chair and be more mobile. And that's awesome. Any, any what? Last one? Yes. Oh, the gift that kept on giving. This little toy you gave to Samantha a long time ago. And as an adult. Oh, as an adult. Oh, cool. Such a meaningful uh, gift in that sense. Yes. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. What a good gift. Yeah, another one. Her husband gave her a Bible one year after they were married. And, and you use it. And it's such a, a blessing spiritually for you. Yeah, Gwen. I gave Harold Laura. She said, I gave Harold Laura, their daughter. So, <laughs> amen to that. Yeah, Miss Eva, last one here. Oh, gave her granddaughter a car. What a blessing. What a blessing. So, around this time of year, we think about receiving and giving gifts. But it occurred to me, as it probably has to you, the original Christmas story, it wasn't Mary and Joseph and everyone else giving one another gifts. It was mostly just Jesus receiving gifts, right? Now, obviously, the bigger story is the gift of Christ to our world, but the practice of giving gifts that, that has kind of become a tradition around the holidays, around Christmas time, it was based upon actually Jesus only getting gifts. And so the sermon title today, What Will You Give Jesus, is thinking back to that story and thinking around the holidays, not only what can I give to others, but what can I give to Jesus. In fact, what does Jesus need? You ever have those wealthy friends in your life? Maybe it's a family member or somebody. I think about, you know, an uncle or two. They have everything they want, everything they need. So, you know, what can you give somebody that has everything, right? 
So we might wonder the same thing about God. What can we give to God? Well, we're going to talk about that today, but let's think first of all about those gifts, three gifts that were given by those magi, those wise men. And you'll notice the Bible doesn't even use the word king when referring to those magi. They probably weren't kings, and there probably weren't three of them. We just associate three because there were three gifts, but not necessarily the case. Names were given to them in the sixth century, but we don't have any, I don't have a lot of confidence that those were the names of the magi, but it's fun. Melchior, Balthazar, and Casper uh, were the three wise men, supposedly. Uh, but what were those gifts? They gave three gifts. What were they? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, I did this for one of our soup and song vespers where we did Bible trivia. It's the best word ever for hangman. The word myrrh. How do you spell myrrh? M-Y-R-R-H. When people are guessing on that game or on, what's that game show with letters and uh, Wheel of Fortune, you know, R-S-T-L-N-E are kind of the, the common ones. Uh, so, so if they guess R, then it doesn't work as well. But when they're going for vowels, A-E-I-O-U, R vowel, they go through all of those, and it's not in that word, right? It's just Y, which is a semi-vowel, sometimes used as a vowel. So I learned in school that W can be a semi-vowel too, because you know, it doesn't restrict always the flow of air through your mouth in like the word bow, B-O-W. Well, it kind of functions in any case, but in the word water, it's not a vowel, a uh, semi-vowel. But anyways, so myrrh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As you think about the meaning or the use of those gifts, obviously gold, very useful for its financial uh, ability. And you think about Joseph having to flee to Egypt with, with Jesus and Mary shortly into Jesus' young life. That gold must have come in very handy and helpful in providing a financial way. But gold was something you associated with the kings, a royal gift to give to someone of royalty. These wise men recognized the, the royalty, the divine nature and origin of Jesus. But they also gave frankincense. As you read the Old Testament, you see frankincense was used in what function? Any, any ideas where it was used? Yeah, it was used in the temple. You can read the ingredients. In fact, you can make your own anointing oil uh, that is given the instructions from that was used to consecrate the Old Testament tabernacle. And you can read the ingredients. Uh, but frankincense was used in the various functions of the temple. And so we look at that gift, and probably the wise men didn't recognize it, but they were giving a very priestly gift. A gift that not only recognized the divine nature, but now this priestly nature of Christ. We, we look back and we say, oh, that's interesting how that worked. And then there was that third gift, M-Y-R-R-H, myrrh. Myrrh is this fragrant thing, but it often was used for embalming the dead. So when the disciples were going to embalm, the ladies were going to embalm Jesus, but then the Sabbath was coming, so they put stuff aside. Probably myrrh was one of those things that they were going to use. And so it's like 
the Holy Spirit uh, maybe inspired this gift, or maybe just in retrospect we notice it as an ironic thing, but we see the, the kingly aspect of Christ, we see the priestly aspect, and then we see this sacrificial aspect, this gift pointing to the death of Jesus. Oh, very interesting thinking about these things, and we're not going to make a whole theology based on these things, but it's interesting to think about. So I ask ourselves the question, what do we give Jesus? Yeah. She said, our faith. And, and we'll talk more about that. But God, God doesn't need food, right? We can't give him food. We're, we're not going to repeat the same actions of the wise men. But this morning, I'm going to highlight four things. And praise was mentioned. And that is definitely a part of it. Today, I'm going to highlight just four. We could make a list of 10 or 20 things that we can give to God. Uh, but today, I'm going to talk about four. And they all start with T. Time, right? Talent, treasure, and temple. We'll start with time. You know, time is one of the most valuable commodities that we have. Would you agree? Yeah. It's one of the most valuable things we have. And in our society that is based upon time-saving devices and, you know, fast food lines or fast food, you know, lanes around uh, fast food restaurants and self-checkout, speedy checkout, internet, and all these things that are designed to help us go faster through life, we seem to have more things to do now, right? You get faster internet, so then the files get bigger. Uh, so you can download bigger files, but then it still takes a while because, you know, the data has increased. But one of the most valuable possessions we have is time. And I want to look at a couple Bible verses as we go through these four things. And the first one is in Ephesians. New Testament book, Ephesians. We're looking at chapter 5. What can we give to God? We can give God our time and the things that we do with our time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. It says there, I'm in the NIV today, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity, or in the ESV, it says, making the best use of time. If you have the King James, it probably says redeeming the time. Is that what it says? The idea is, time is valuable, use it well. Because the days are evil. We're living in difficult times. Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Boy, there are a lot of ways we can use our time. And I'll be honest with you, this is an area where I need to grow a lot because not only do we need to use our, our free time wisely, but we need to use the time that we've been given well. And it's easy to, to, to be busy all day and accomplish nothing, seemingly. Uh, and, and management skills can help us, and organization can, can help us use our time more effectively. But if we have no time... Then when it comes time for opportunities to serve, we'll say, oh, I'm too busy. I can't go give Bible studies. I have no time for it. 
I'd love to come to this event. Or I'd love to help out my neighbor, but I just don't have any time. You're going through a crisis right now? I'm sorry, I would love to talk to you about it, but gotta go. I have no time. So we realize, what can we give Jesus? Number one, we can give him our time. And we can say, God, here's my week. This is what I have to work with. If you want me to do certain things for you, please help me to figure out how I can arrange this week, how I can arrange my time so that I can glorify and give you the gift of my time. And God might point things in your life that are wasting your time or aren't the best use of your time. And, and you can realize, oh, maybe I can put this aside and put something better in its place. Something that I should probably do for my own life is to go through my week and just note down how much I spend time-wise doing various things. And sometimes people don't even realize how much time is spent on unimportant things. And if you just cut down on that or eliminated those things, you would have a whole lot more time. Uh, a whole lot more time. One time I did a, a, like a electronic device, media fast, all these things. And it's amazing how free you are especially for the younger generation, when you're not always on your phone or not always on your computer or a TV or whatever, just to try it, to, to see what your life is like for a while without that. And then, and then reprioritize at the end of a week or 10 days or 40 days or whatever you want to do. Jesus said in John 9 verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. Jesus said, I don't have time to mess around because night is coming and I got to work while there's day. Amen. He knew his ministry, he only had so much time in this world. I need to use it while we can. And when we get to heaven, we want to look back and say, praise God, I gave you my time, Jesus. Not, we won't get to heaven saying, God, I wished I had binge watched that whole multiple uh, more series of this show or that show or God, I wasted my time witnessing to people on earth. Now there are people in heaven because are we, we're not going to be saying those things, right? Amen. We'll be saying, praise God, the time that I devoted to God, it was used in a good way. So think about how can you give God the gift of time? Second T, talent. Talent. We, God wants our talent. And you remember the story, the parable of the talents, and it's not talking about like abilities, it's talking about a, a unit of currency, a measure, right? Uh, but the story ha has implications that can relate to the way that we use what's been given to us. There in Matthew 13, we won't, rather 25, um, Matthew 25, Jesus is talking and he says, there's a guy who leaves and he gives his servant, one servant he gives five talents, the other servant gives two, and the last one he gives one two. And in the end, the two, who, uh, one with five and the one with two invested, they put what they were given to use. And in the end, there was some benefit from what they had been given. But the, the third person just hid their talent. And in the end, the ones that used what they had been given, they were given reward, right? They were given encouragement and praise, but the one who just hid it because they were afraid, they had some harsh things said to them. 
And while it's not talking specifically in the parable, as we said, about the gift of hospitality, or the gift of teaching, or the gift of music, we can understand how the principles can apply to our life. Jesus has given us all something that can be a benefit to someone else. The gift he's, been, he's given you is probably not the gifts that he's given to me. And that's good, because that means you can reach people that I can't reach. And you can contribute in a way to God's kingdom and this church and, and the ministry in a way that I can't do it. I've been given certain things. We all are called to use the talent that we've been given. Let's look at a verse, though. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Almost to Revelation, but not quite there. Before 1 and 2 and 3 John. Obviously before 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. We can give God our time. We can give God our talent. 1 Peter 4.10. It says there, Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If you've been given a gift, it's not so that you can look good, or it's not so that you can feel good about yourself, although God wants us to feel good about ourselves. It's so that you can serve other people with it. If you have the gift of hospitality then you need to use it for God. If you've been given the gift of teaching, we need to find a way for you to use that gift. Uh, and by the way, it's, it's okay to try and develop talents and gifts that you haven't necessarily been spiritually blessed with. Should we be a hospitable church? Yeah, even if we all haven't been given that specific gift? Absolutely. We need to be welcoming and, and inviting and, and encouraging and all these things. So whatever gift you've been given... Use it. Use it. What's the first, first gift that we can use? Talent. Give to Jesus time. The second one? Talent. Talent. And the third one is treasure. Financially. You know, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, God says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they recognized when you've been blessed by the Lord... God wants us to remember his blessings by giving back to him. You know, the Old Testament, they had that system that was, that was talked a lot about uh, uh, called tithing. Uh, there were those priests, the people who would serve God. They devoted all their time to serving God. Uh, they didn't have land per se. They didn't have much land their job was just to serve God. And so God said, you know, in order for this priestly ministry to go forward, we need to have a way to support it. We need to have a way for this ministry to happen so that more people can be connected to me and the priest can just serve God without worrying about all this other stuff. And so there was this tithe that God reminded the people of. It was even in existence before the children of Israel. And the priests were able to live off of that. They were able to benefit from that. My salary as a pastor comes from tithe. When you give tithe, um, in fact, if you have a, an envelope in front of you, just pull it out. Let's take a look at this for a, for a moment. Because sometimes it's a little confusing when you look at these. Pull out an offering envelope in front of you. If you just put $10 in the offering plate today, you know where it's going to go? 
it will go towards what the bulletin says is the special project for that day. So if you pull out your bulletin, I don't have one on me, here's one, you'll see what the special project for today was. Uh, and I had to abbreviate it because the title was too long. But you had an insert the last couple of weeks, or last week, Adventist Christian Services, which basically means the, the ministry, the social ministry, uh, serving people like the community services that we have. We gave out Thanksgiving baskets to needy families over this holiday season, the last holiday season. They're going to be giving out Christmas um, gifts to people in the community. We have people coming on Wednesday morning saying, hey, I have this electrical bill. I can't pay it. Um, and, and there's some forms that people fill out and, and they're able to provide assistance and also food assistance. It's that type of thing. Clothing. Uh, and most Adventist churches have something called Adventist Community Services or it's called Dorcas. Dorcas was the name of somebody in the New Testament who's, who was all about helping people. And I'm seeing your heads shaking because you ladies, you know all about that. You work so hard in that regard. We have a number of people who are involved. And if you're interested in getting involved, you can do that. So, so each week, if you just put it into the offering plate, that's where it's going to go to. On the first and third Sabbaths of the month, it always goes to church budget. Um, but then you've got your, your tithe envelope. If you want to give towards tithe, which we're going to talk about, I'm going to have a, a little presentation here in a moment, you have to mark it on the envelope. If you don't mark it that way, it won't go towards that. Um, and if you want to give towards the local church budget, unless it's the first or the second or the third Sabbath, it won't go to local church budget unless you go to that second line and you mark whatever amount you want to go towards the local church budget. Um, some people get local building fund con confused with local church budget, um, but it's the first and the second that are tied in local church budget. And then there's some other ones that you'll see. I have utilized and appreciated going online. I don't like to handle paperwork and cash and all of that stuff. If I can do it online or have it done automatically for me, then my life is so much better. So you see me during offering time just sitting up there and it's like, oh, I wish I had something to put in because it looks bad, right? But my money is already going automatically, which for me is so uh, awesome, right? I don't like dealing with paper and mail. Um, so, so let's talk about this for a moment. I want to go through a little presentation because sometimes people say, well, where does the money go? If I'm going to give to tithe or to church budget, where is that money going to go? Because if I want to give, I want to make sure it goes to a good place, right? That's, that's, that's what I want. So in the Adventist church, it's a unique structure. This isn't just a standalone church. This church is a part of a larger denomination. Um, there are uh, around 19 million Adventists worldwide. Um, so we're a part of a big family. What's cool is, as a pastor, if this church had 10,000 members, I would get paid the same amount as I get paid now. If it had five members, well, we probably would have to close the church down. <laughs> uh, but I would still get paid what I get paid now. So it's neat because there's no financial incentive for me to, to make the church super massive and then raise my salary or something like that and then have a Learjet and fly around. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, I want to grow the church because I want more people uh, as a part of this family and more people knowing about God and serving God and worshiping together. Um, 
but it's cool. Like, uh, if, I go, if I move to San Francisco, now I might get compensated a little bit more because it costs so much to live there. But I get the same basic salary anywhere in North America. So we're all part of the same family. You, as a, as a part of this church, you're a member of this congregation. But to, in order for God's work to go forward in an organized fashion, each local church is a part of a bigger structure. So that it's not just this church trying to share the gospel with the world. We've said, hey, let's have all the churches unite together and combine our efforts to reach the kingdom of God. In the local church, we have all the functions that you would expect in the local church. But then all the churches in, in the region are banded together into what we call a conference. Here, we call it the Central California Conference, because geographically that's where we're at. There are almost 140 Adventist churches in the Central California Conference, over 37,000 members. So it's a part of a bigger unit. Uh, and the conference, what they do, in fact, I just was at the main conference office on Thursday, they have people who are in charge of helping with the various functions to make the local church awesome. Like, that's basically their goal, to help encourage and help the local church. So the conference, they're the ones that pay the pastors. They're the ones that help with the summer camp, and they help organize things with our academies, with Central Valley Christian Academy. Um, they're the ones that help with camp meeting. Camp meeting is something that happens near Santa Cruz, for us, it's a 10-day period where you get to go and you sleep in an RV or camp in a tent or rent a little cabin, and there are inspirational meetings for all ages, 10 days long. Who's been to camp meeting before? Yeah, it is amazing. Um, they put me in charge of early teens this last year, so I was with early teens for 10 days, and I was very tired at the end of that, but it was a blessing. It's cool to, to get together with, with a whole bunch of uh, thousands of other Adventists and, and watch it and then streaming it online to the rest of the nation and, and so forth. So that happens through the conference. There's um, the churches and schools, the ownership of property. Technically, this church is owned by our conference. Um, it's not privately owned by the church. But that's really helpful because Claritina is about to expand. The road is going to widen. And so when I went to a meeting with Norman uh, to the city, it wasn't just us. We had a representative from the conference who, if they give us a bid for our property that's too low, you know, we're going to lose the house out front and so forth. If they say, hey, here's, uh, here's $5,000 for the house, we'd be like, what? Well, fortunately, we have people at the conference who can say, hey, that, that's not going to work for us, you know, and, and we have a conference lawyer, not that we want to sue anyone, but a conference lawyer who, who can read all the paperwork and say, no, 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 this isn't fair, this is what the value of the property is, and insurance runs through the conference. So, anyways, there's a lot I could say, but I don't want to bore you to death. Anyways, they do a lot there, and they're there to make the local church awesome. Uh, but then, that's just the Central California region. You expand and go above that, because what about Southern California, Northern, and, and Utah, and so forth? In our area, we call it our union, our union conference, there are actually seven different conferences. I grew up uh, in a different union, but the union helps coordinate things on a broader level, and so forth. And if you want the presentation later, I can give it to you. I don't want to read everything on the slides here. 
And then there are 13, or there are rather nine different unions across North America. All of this helps it to be organized so that we can say, all right, this is the area we want to minister to. Uh, but we're also going to help send funds up the chain to send to various parts of the world. Instead of just one church saying, all right, I want to spread the gospel to the world, now it's a big system where everyone's organized and we can collectively put our funds together and we can touch massive portions of the world in big ways that we couldn't have done if we just were one church all on its own. So it's really cool how it works out. And then there are 13 different world divisions which make up what we call the General Conference. But all of this, we have to remember, all of it comes back to the local church. And it all exists to help make the local church awesome. And we are the ones, if we have leadership, we are the ones who elect the leadership. Uh, in, in many ways, it's like a democracy. Uh, we ultimately have the power, and the system exists not to make itself great, but to make the local church great. And there are many ways that that is involved. So we say, well, where does tithe go? When we give tithe, where does it go to? And again, there's a lot of details that I'm not going to get into. But when it comes to the North American division, all of the conferences put together in North America, well, basically we have 70%, if you gave a dollar, over 70 cents would come right back to our local conference to help with the programs and the events and the things that help our churches in our local area go well. So we've got that, uh, and then some of it goes to the general conference to help this overarching guiding structure. Some of it goes to the unions. Some of it helps with retirement for all the pastors who've served for God you know, for 60 years and then retired, um, helping make sure that those pastors don't just go to the poorhouse and and die of starvation, uh, that's important. Um, and then some of it goes to missions overseas. Um, in Sabbath school, if you give towards the offering, that is 100% given towards mission. And they tell you what the mission project is, um, or at least something like that. Um, but if you give tithe, you're giving a portion towards mission. And again, if you want these presentations, I can, I can give them to you later because uh, we could spend a lot of time going through this, but I don't want to bore you. Uh, now, within our conference, where does that money go to to help us in our conference? Well, 34 cents, 35% uh, goes towards church programs, stuff that the conference puts on to help benefit churches. Next month, in January, actually, I think it's in Fe February, we're having a training for Vacation Bible School and for Children's Ministries. Someone from the conference is coming here to train. Anybody in our area that wants to learn and grow and become better at that will come to that training. So stuff like that um, happens through the conference. And then there's something that you can't read and I can't remember. Oh, that's Education and Children's Ministries. <laughs> so our schools within our conference helping Central Valley Christian Academy, helping with various youth programs within our conference. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other services, and, and I could get you the specific information on where it all goes to. Uh, but here's a better summary. This will be more meaningful to you. Uh, the local church, or the local conference, supports pastors, uh, pathfinders. We have pathfinders. They go to these events and, and these big... How many pathfinders were at the last... Camporee. 
46,000 young people from around the world were at the, the massive camp, Pathfinder Camporee in Oshkosh. Um, what an awesome youth ministry. And, and there were probably hundreds or, or thousands of decisions for Christ through that. Uh, so what a neat thing is, is sponsored there. Uh, ministers meetings. I get trained. I went to the conference to be trained further um, as a pastor. Camp meeting, education support. Uh, workshops and seminars, evangelism budgets. When we did our prophecy seminar, we got help from the conference to help make that happen. Um, all these things, our, our Bible workers, people who are here to help, Matthew and Manny, they're helping our church out with stuff right now. Largely, it comes from help from the conference. So when you give to tithe, you're giving to all these things. Now, I've talked enough um, about all of that. Here's a, a look at tithe over time within our, our conference. The trend has been up, although it's been a little down lately. So we're hoping that, that God will continue to bless us to be able to give. Um, I could show you later about Modesto Parkwood, how we've been doing on our giving, our local giving, our world giving, and so forth and so on. Interesting looking at the per capita giving. Uh, the, the big blue line is our membership, 333 members. Um, some of those people have moved away, and we need to figure out that they've moved away. Um, some aren't able to come. Um, but the total giving households, there were 187 households that gave this last year. Um, so you can see if, if we were to increase our giving households, we could, do, we could meet our budget even easier out of those 300-some families who call this local church their home. Uh, and there's the giving per capita. So all of that that I've just described is tithe. If you take your, your, your thing and you mark tithe on here, that's what that goes towards. Now, what about local church? Well, we've already seen that the local church benefits through tithe, but it doesn't help pay the electricity bills, it doesn't help with our mission, and so forth. What does the local church budget do? There are four main things it does. And I, I, I put M's for them. It helps with our mission, with our materials, with our manpower or woman power, and our maintenance. When we want to put on a program, whether it's a cooking school, a prophecy seminar, a vacation Bible school, any of these types of things, it comes through the local church budget. That's our mission, our reaching out to the community comes through local church budget. Materials, we print bulletins every week. We have Sabbath school quarterlies. We have different printed material. That comes out of local church budget. If the copy machine breaks down, that comes out of local church budget. Uh, for our secretary, our treasurer, for our custodian, for our groundskeepers, for the, the people who clean the restrooms and vacuum the carpet and, and all the, that comes out of local church budget. Our utilities, uh, telephone, internet, um, our support for Central Valley Christian Academy. We help give a lot of our budget to help our Christian education happen. Uh, and then on top of that, we give to help additional students and families make it possible for them to go to our school. And our outreach, our GLOW that happens, a GLOW meeting this afternoon. People are going out to pass out those little pamphlets. That comes out of local church budget. Um, are you getting a little better 
picture of these things. Um, and as Joe mentioned, we've been down on our, our budget over the last several months. This year we had, we had to make some increases. We said, you know what, we just made this parking lot beautiful, but we need to make sure we seal it. It takes a lot of money to seal the parking lot, so we had to add that into our budget. Um, things went up at the school, so we had to go up with that. We were very careful. We try and make very good decisions with our budget, and we, make a, uh, we have a business meeting every year where we invite the whole church to come and take a look at our budget and, and make sure that you approve of every single thing that's in there. And so we'll invite you again in J July when we redo our budget for this. When I've said all this to say, um, there are different ways we give to Jesus, and through our treasure is one of them. But hopefully, do you have a little better understanding of where it goes now? Again, if you want, if you want the presentation, email me, and I'll be happy to email it to you and answer any questions you have about it. God wants our time. God wants our talent. God wants our treasure. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everything we have has been given by God, and so if, uh, if we give a portion of it back, it simply reminds God, or reminds us, that it's not ours to give anyways. It's already God's. He's the one who saved us and redeemed us. But finally, let's, let's close with the last one, which is temple. The temple of our lives. Not just how we live our life, not just what we eat and drink and all those sorts of things, but God wants to sit on the throne of our heart. He wants to be the heavenly high priest, not only in heaven, but he wants to be the high priest in the temple of our heart. I, I remember that Christmas song where it says, what can I give you? And the little boy says, give you my heart, or whoever's singing because ultimately, when God has our heart, everything else will fall into place. If our hearts are fully ded dedicated to Him, you know what? We're going to start thinking about our money. And Okay, God, I guess I, can, I guess I can give. I can contribute. Okay, God, my time. I love you. I want to give some of my time. All of my time. God, my talent. I love you. I want to use my talent for you. You know, when I first met Sarah, you know, she was just another person, right? I didn't know I was going to fall in love with her and eventually marry her. But if you just ask me, hey, John, you're single. Do you want to just share all of your belongings and possessions and resources with some random person? I would have said, no. I don't want to do that. Hey, John, do you want a roommate and do you want to share a bed? And, Everything with a random person? No. I don't want to do that. I'd sleep better just with my own bed, right? Uh, but then I fell in love, right? And then the decision became a no-brainer. Of course. Whatever I have is yours. Whatever she has is mine. When we fall in love with God, when he sits on the throne in our temple, the temple of our heart, then everything we have is not our own, but it's God's. And we want to give it to God. And we realize that God's the one who puts meaning in it and even gives us the ability to enjoy it. So at the end of the day, it all comes back to letting God sit on the throne 
of our heart. What does Romans 12:1 say? It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. For this is your spiritual worship, giving God your life as a sacrifice and everything in it. And he doesn't ask much in return. He blesses us, as Joe said, in so many ways. And we could share testimonies about how God has blessed in so many ways. I've heard so many stories about people giving tithe or giving money to God, and they didn't know where the rest was going to come from. And then God blessed them with what they needed. I've experienced some of those blessings in my own life. What can we give Jesus? What's the first thing? Time. And then? Talent. Treasure. And temple. I invite you to prayerfully consider in this Christmas season, how can you give those things to Jesus? Yes, we need help with our church budget. You can get a tax-deductible receipt, by the way, (laughs) into the years coming up. But beyond that, God wants our time, and mostly he wants our heart. Back in the years when slavery was a thing here in America, in those terrible years, there was a man who looked strong, he looked powerful, and he stood up on the auction block at that slave auction. And people were thinking, oh, I'm going to get a lot of money. Excuse me, I'm going to get a lot of work out of this guy. But as he was standing up on that block, he repeated perhaps the only words he knew in English, I will not work. I will not work. Over and over and over again at the top of his lungs, I will not work. Finally, somebody bought him. They took him back all that way. I will not work. I will not work. Eventually, this man escaped, slipped out of his chains, ran away. Eventually, he was found, brought back to the master, and expecting the worst beating of his life. But instead of a beating, the man who had purchased him gave him his papers of freedom and said, I'm setting you free. You can have your own property. You can have your own life. You don't have to work for me. And this man, who was so set against working, he was so transformed by his salvation, by his deliverance, by being set free, that he was moved to tears, and he said, because you've set me free, I'm going to serve you forever. Friends, have you been set free by Jesus? If you've been set free by Jesus... Does your heart also say, I will serve you forever? Let's pray. Dear God, I'm thankful that you love us so much. You've given everything for us. And you really don't ask much from us. The most important thing you want is our heart. And everything else will fall into place after that happens. We thank you for your love, for your salvation. And may we use these things, our time, our treasure, our temple, our talents. May we use them for you and bring joy to your heart. Not only this holiday season, but throughout each day of every year. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.